This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. A heads up to our listeners that this episode has been recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. So we have Nick Gandolfo from from Sustainalytics, a global leader in ESG and corporate governance, research and ratings. Nick is a director of Sustainable Finance Solutions, heading the business in APAC and based in Singapore. He's over 15 years of experience in the region across countries as diverse as Australia, Hong Kong, China, Indonesia, Cambodia and Singapore, and worked in the private and semi-government sectors in both developed and emerging markets. Next, Bupesh Gupta. Bupesh is president and CEO of COFAS in the APAC region, a position he's held since 2016. And he brings an extensive experience across a wide range of financial products across large ticket leverage and project finance, trade and consumer finance. He's held a number of senior roles in GE Capital and is a board director for JV's Hyundai Capital in Korea and Cosmos Bank in Taiwan. Um, Ashok Jain. Ashok is head of corporate finance at Indorama Ventures, one of the world's leading petrochemicals producers, and is based in Bangkok in their head office. Ashok has been uh, with Indorama for over 15 years, covering corporate strategy, investor relations, and ECM roles, and has been in his current role for the past four years, where responsibilities uh, cover banking and finance, taxation, and M&A. And lastly, Michael Nielsen. Michael is the regional head of supply chain for Vestas Asia and responsible for ensuring the fulfillment to global locations of finished goods and components. He's based in Singapore and has over 15 years experience in the region, including stints in both India and China. Please feel free to submit questions via the Q&A functionality uh, whilst we hold the panel discussion. Um, and we'll be holding a Q&A session at the end uh, where I'll be able to put your questions to the panel. So um, with a less predictable geographical, sorry, geopolitical environment, macroeconomic challenges, increased regulatory pressures, currency volatilities, and most recently COVID, building and managing resilient supply chains, including their financing, has never been more the subject of scrutiny, focus, and change as it has been over the past couple of years. Be it working capital optimization, changing structures, risk management, ESG, uh, or innovation, and therefore increasingly the focus of corporate C-suites and boards. But it does present great opportunities for those that are able to manage this well. So my first question to the panel is, over the past year, the preservation of cash has become a priority for all corporates, with working capital efficiencies playing a critical role. What trends around this theme have you seen emerging? And how do you see this evolving in the future? Ashok, uh, perhaps I could start with you. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Uh, good afternoon to everyone. Uh, so we have gone through uh, a situation over the past 12 months, which was more health driven rather than any structural reasons. 
which we went through in the 97 ASEAN crisis or in the 2008 global crisis. Uh, during the past 12 months, uh, whenever there are times, whenever times are uncertain, uh, there is a push to keep liquidity. And obviously, because of the nature of working capital, that is the first thing that the corporates would look at. Uh, so what we have seen is within the supply chain, uh, there was an impact from destocking. Uh, so everyone was moving from produce to stock to produce to order. Uh, so that destocking resulted in uh, release of cash from working capital. Uh, the other aspect during such times is credit risk management. Uh, there is there is a large portfolio of receivables, and uh, you never know between which of your exposures they could be risk emanating. So, and at the same time, uh, where you are well covered, uh, the the counterparties may reduce the may decide to decrease those limits for you. So that is another aspect you need to very uh, regularly monitor. Uh, what has been useful is that uh, because of the governments, there was a lot of liquidity in the market and the yields came down. So there was an opportunity to lock in uh, funding for long-term and short-term at low cost of financing. So from that, uh, so primarily what we see as a trend is that uh, with how supply chains are moving, whether we need to look at our uh, cash cycles more closely and whether we need to change to the new normal our cash cycles rather than what we were doing in the past. Yeah, Stephen, that's all. Thank, thanks, thanks, Ashok. Um, but Pesh, perhaps I could um, pass the question over to you as well, please. Thank you. Oh, you're on mute, Bupesh. Sorry about that. Uh, we're doing this for so long, still make the same mistakes. Um, look, I was, I was just saying that, you know, kind of a shock put his uh, thumb on the right thing, which is, you know, you've got to fundamentally protect cash, right? So banks provide cash, but it's really bridging, right? Uh, it's people like Ashok and, 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 and their you know, constituents and stakeholders who actually generate cash. People like us, COFOS, if you don't know, we, we issue policies that protect about $700 billion of receivables across the world at any point of time, right? So our job is to protect cash. We've seen a couple of trends here, right? And one of them surprising. When we started the year, kind of the end of the first quarter, beginning of the second quarter, when we thought, you know, COVID is going to be worse than we initially assumed, uh, you know, kind of greater China and, and the region, uh, it's going to affect the world. Um, there was a scramble, as um, Ashok put it, you know, to, to make sure we had the right limits. We had, you know, not been overexposed to things. And, you know, we, we did what we had to. The surprising thing for me during the year has been not only us, but, but kind of all my, 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 my fellow companies uh, who are part of the burn union have actually paid out 16% less this year or rather in 2020 compared to 2019, right? One was what uh, Ashok mentioned, 
the fact that there was much more liquidity from government, but there was also direct support, you know, protection for, um, you know, debtors against creditors, et cetera. But there has been the biggest trend we've seen actually in this year has been the willingness to accommodate. Buyers, sellers have been accommodating each other more than we have ever seen. We've had overdues where people have said, look, can you just give us an extension of uh, dates so we can work this out amicably? Because obviously when we pay claims, then you know, we've got to go out and recover. That has helped, right? The issue is if this keeps going and we still aren't seeing the exact end of the tunnel, I think we know it's there with the vaccinations going on. We don't know when either of these things start to stumble, right? If you have in the chain of accommodation and one or two people stopping to do that, you're going to have issues, right? Comes back to our job, right? We got about a thousand people who are monitoring on a daily basis, you know, thousands and thousands of buyers across 200 countries. You've got to keep your eye on that ball. You've got to continue to manage the risk, whether it's, you know, we are seeing some movements to documenting credit where there used to be open accounts. But on the whole, so far, I would say things are sticking together. And I hope that for the next six months, we're going to get through this and we'll be all fine. I think, but, but those are the trends that I'm seeing here is, you know, more accommodation than I've ever seen in my life. I went to the GFC and took billions of dollars of losses. This is not like that. It's, it's actually going to come out and I, I kind of our slogan is, you know, beat COVID together. And I think that's what we've got to do. Great. No, thanks very much, Pupesh. So, so perhaps now moving on to uh, a, another question and uh, moving uh, on from uh, working capital efficiencies. Uh, there's there's now a really clear focus on sustainability priorities, and no longer seen, I think, as as optional considerations for corporate boards. What are the trends you are seeing, uh, and and what are the steps being taken by corporates to help them achieve their sustainability goals? Um, perhaps I could uh, start with Nick on on this particular subject. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Stephen. And again, good afternoon to everybody. So I think you're absolutely right. In addition to the, the different constraints on liquidity and the, the difficult COVID environment we've all been in and the stresses that that's put on value chains and supply chains, it's enhanced, focused, accelerated, emphasised the E, environment, S, social and the governance um, perspective. So the context is really um, intensified. And I guess some of the trends that we see, some of them are regulatory imposed, such as Modern Slavery Act, in particular in the UK and Australia, which demands um, corporates to really get into more of the details in their supply chains and have an active program on how to deal with some of those uh, issues. The other thing that's really intensified too is this whole movement towards decarbonisation, net zero, transition. Um, and what's that meant has meant is that a lot of corporates need to focus on what we call scope three emissions. So where's the emissions in their value chain? The topic of today is, is the supply chain aspect of that. And that's really intensified. So some of the certifications in the market about science-based targets and having a really robust plan to reduce your emissions, you actually need to take these things into consideration or you can't actually get some of those uh, certifications. So they're, they're two big ones. Probably the other two things that I think is happening and being exacerbated by COVID and, and just the ongoing context and importance of sustainability is um, I'd say leadership. So more and more corporates wanting to show leadership through their uh, procurement spend, through their investments, through their interactions, because a lot of corporates are obviously sourcing and, and working with suppliers in some difficult markets who don't maybe have the best enabling um, ESG 
regulations and, and support. So I think there's a real opportunity for leadership there and, and we're seeing it. So some corporates really um, using that influence um, through that procurement spend. Um, the other thing is transparency. And we've seen that in the, the green bond, labelled bond, social bond, sustainable finance markets of, of which you know, HSBC is a huge, a huge player. And that's transferring to, um, I'd say, sustainable uh, supply chains as well. So us as consumers, you know, we demand more of companies now. We want to know where, the, where our products we're buying comes from. So there's been lots of different announcements from companies like Unilever and many others about how robust their uh, supply chain uh, uh, management is, how they've integrated um, sustainability. Uh, so there's push from banks, there's push from investors, and there's really push for consumers. So I think all of that as sort of trends, that they're not um, in the absence of, or just come out of nowhere. You know, COVID highlights these, some of these trends have been building for some time, and now it's just um, intensified. So um, lots of different things that we see in the market, and it's a real growth area for our, um, you know, for our business and talking to clients about lots of these different um, aspects. Great. No, thanks, Nick. Um, Michael, um, I, with Vestas being a, an industry leader in sustainable energy solutions and, and at the forefront when it comes to sustainability, what, what it'd be great to sort of get your views and, and hear from your thoughts on, on around this subject. Yeah. Um, good afternoon to everybody. I think uh, Nicholas did a very good job of explaining what are the, the key things that's going on at the moment uh, across the board. I think maybe to, to mention two examples of how those things goes over and beyond, because even though we are a sustainable product, it takes the whole value chain, as Nicholas mentioned, to make it work. Um, and in that aspect, of course, we have our own internal goals of how we become a carbon neutral company by 2030 by doing various actions. But it's also how do we make sure that the value chain uh, becomes and how do we ensure that the partners we work with uh, gets enabled to do it? So we do have, for example, like a Vestas Ventures, but we actually collaborate with uh, other people in the uh, in the power industry or support in sustainability where if the battery life needs to get longer how do we make sure that we work collaborate with the right people to evolve in that space of it how do we work to improve the capability of uh, of turbines as well and then we are still a, a young industry, so to say, in sustainability. So actually what we're also working on right now and something you'll be seeing coming over the next couple of weeks is the uh, collaboration, not only with our industry peers, but also partners that is suppliers to us to see how do we work on actually making reverse logistics sustainable. So as we start to see more repowering happening, old turbines being taken down, being reused, how do we take this uh, forward looking of knowing what is coming tomorrow and ensuring that that also becomes uh, sustainable? So there's consortiums now being established across the, the value chain to make sure we become, as an industry, more sustainable than our product is today. Uh, so again, it takes a lot of collaboration. Um, I know that Nicholas mentioned the, the consumer, but it's also in the business to business that just something like safety of employees during the COVID times, uh, safety is already of our employees of our utmost importance, but actually being able to translate that to customers, what we're doing, being able to collaborate uh, with partners, telling them what we're doing. I think there's a lot of soft, so let's call leadership, I'll call it, there's a lot of soft things in the SDGs as well that we need to be aware of that we're working on as well to enabling uh, everybody in the value chain. Um, so I think there's a lot of good things happening across industries in consortiums as well as within companies. 
Great. No, thank, thanks very much, Michael. Um, and perhaps now to pass over to Ashok. Um, uh, welcome. Any sort of thoughts and views from you, uh, particularly for petrochemicals uh, uh, industry perspective? Yes. So I think Nicholas and Michael have covered it well. Uh, since we are part of an oil to chemical industry, uh, so there are a lot of expectations on the ESG front uh, from our industry. And there are expectations of a lot of structural changes in the long term within the industry. So we need to prepare for that, uh, which we are doing. At the same time, I think what we have seen is that uh, ESG uh, has, has gained more relevance over the past 12 months. As we have seen, the skies have become more blue. Uh, I used to never see a blue sky in Bangkok in the day but I do see it over the last uh, 12 months. <laughs> so that is a change. Uh, of course, that is because people go out less, they travel less. Uh, that is, uh, so I think uh, what within the industry, uh, everybody is trying to come out with their own ESG strategy, primarily, which is centered around reducing the carbon footprint, whether that carbon footprint is in manufacturing or is in supply chain and distribution. Uh, and secondly, uh, I think everybody is setting up their targets. Uh, everybody is preparing for 2040, 2050, how to become, uh, how to get to zero GHG. Uh, and at the same time, uh, since we know that electric vehicles are coming and uh, uh, up to 2040, 50 is a long period within which probably if the electric vehicle industry picks up, there could be an infrastructure which can be set up for that. So that so there is a lot of preparation within the industry going on, as I mentioned in the beginning, that uh, it has potential to structurally change the oil to chemical industry over a period of 20 to 30 years with what is happening around us. Great. Yep. No, no, really appreciated um, uh, those thoughts, views, Ashok. Bupesh, I'm really interested in what and in, in how you see this from a, you know, from a from a COFAS's perspective. Yep. Look, I think I think there are two aspects of that. I, I think we're we're pretty well subscribed to the fact that we want to be, you know, an organization with a strong ESG culture, right? And um, we're doing lots of things. We just signed up to an LGBT. Uh, charter to ensure you know inclusiveness not across you know sexes but also across you know uh, uh, things like that. Uh, but but I think from looking out at my clients, uh, I see uh, a change, right? And, and and the change is kind of uh, you know I think it's uh, it's not the beginning, but it's kind of somewhere closer to the the first quartile of a change from what we used to see 20, 25 years ago, which was a tick the box mentality. I need to take enough boxes so I can stay out of trouble with the, from the regulators to a mentality which is more looking now like a virtuous evolution of corporate culture, right? More and more organizations are really believing in this. I think there are two reasons for that. One is I think the millennials demand that of us. If you're going to employ millennials, you're going to have to think and, 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 and act differently, there's no winking going on. They're part of the organization. They want to be part of organizations that have a strong ESG culture. 
I think there's another one which comes out from them. We are actually seeing a number of our clients who come to us and say, we'd like to understand your ESG culture to decide whether we want you to be our insurer. This is not a trend that I'd seen five years ago, right? People say, okay, you're, you're a financial institution. You do what you need to, you know, I'll carry on my business. So when people start demanding that their partners have a similar ethos and culture as them, you start seeing the start of an evolution or could become a revolution. So I think from my point of view, we're seeing much more of that. We, we try and be fully compliant. We try and be socially active. Our motto is for trade. We believe trade brings peace, prosperity, uh, and, and stability across the world. So, you know, we do our own bit. We're a small organization, but it's good to see others following that. Yeah, great. Uh, thanks, Bupesh. Now, some, I think that this whole piece around you know, the, uh, I think the millennials and, and, and what they demand and having to, you know, we're all looking to attract the, the best talent. And, uh, and as you say, I think there is very much a, um, a real movement where people as you say, generally care about this and, and, and less the tick the box exercise. So perhaps we can just move on to, I think the final sort of question we, we have for, for the panel before we move into sort of Q&A. Um, and, and, and this really is looking at um, the digitization of supply chains. And, and, and I guess what, what you see as the, 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 uh, the, the key shifts that innovation is driving and, and, and how, uh, it's always a difficult question, how do we see this defining the future? So, so perhaps um, if I could uh, throw this one over to Ashdok to, uh, to, 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 have a, to have a sort of stab at, thank you. Okay, so I think uh, how I see it is it's a, uh, how we are looking at it is now more as an end-to-end -end solution with a more visible supply chain. Uh, when I say visible, Earlier, it was more information driven. Now it is more visibility driven. And the objective remains uh, the same to have a better customer experience and optimization opportunities. Uh, how the consumers have shifted over the last, uh, last many years is that there was a time when uh, they had more options, means more products on the shelves from which to pick from then they had more options in terms of retail formats. So instead of home stores, it went into different types of segments of retails. And now what we see is that uh, now it has become digital. So there is an option of e-commerce as well, uh, where again, there are multiplicity of platforms from which they could pick the products. So taking a cue from there, uh, if, if there is a consumer and that consumer needs to be satisfied uh, as we are going forward, I think what would be required is that uh, besides the ERP platform, probably a lot of networking on cloud computing uh, between the entire value chain uh, so that you could see those shifts and you could move the product. Uh, this may be more relevant for particularly for somebody who is in a consumer good industry rather than uh, in an industrial good industry. Uh, at the same time, uh, there is a lot of, uh, uh, to have so much of flexibility, obviously your logistics need to be tracked closely. Uh, you need to have, uh, means uh, there, there are supporting industries which are also evolving, which is in terms of tracking of the logistic systems, having 3D printing, RFID, 
because there is a need for labeling, uh, digital labeling on every product, so that they could be captured on the on the on the on the systems. So uh, I think uh, where we are heading towards is uh, probably uh, uh, the shift of consumer will drive uh, more and more towards the innovation uh, within uh, towards digitization. And I'll just share with you an example in Bangkok that uh, during the lockdowns, the home delivery of food business has gathered steam. And there are so many uh, organizations which are providing that. And every, means even coffee shops need to link to these networks now so that people, if they want to buy a product, they could get to this. So I think the digitalization is uh, affecting the entire supply chain. And I think the COVID-19 has pushed a lot of the smaller retail formats up to the larger manufacturing organizations and the retail formats to move into this. So I think that's, uh, uh, I will end with that, yeah. No, 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 great insights, Ashok. Michael, um, perhaps I can uh, throw, pass over to you. If, uh, uh, welcome your thoughts uh, around the uh, uh, digitization. Uh, I, we see it in, uh, in three factors, and then I would like to add uh, an example of what Ashok meant because there's an expansion of the home delivery as well. But the first one is your preventive, uh, predictive maintenance. So I think digitalization and the feedback loop you'll get from the demand of what is being used at your customer's location, that is enabling you to have a more efficient supply chain and you could do maybe predictive of when you want to do maintenance and make sure you have the right stock at the right place. So that feedback loop in terms of digitalization is now outmost importance and you're seeing that in the most uh, uh, equipment that's coming out. The other one is also digitalization also is the key for us to have decision-making. So during the COVID crisis, um, I think a lot of companies who had the visibility to where you had your finished goods, where you had your suppliers, uh, where you were to deliver. So taking the demand chain versus the supply chain and actually have the ability to reroute it uh, where possible uh, during those periods to actually fulfilling your customer's demand. Uh, that is the second part where it becomes critical. And then a third part where I think uh, now we're in a finance forum where digitalization is becoming important is uh, hedging, uh, exchange rates, uh, tier two sourcing, uh, final consumption, how to utilize the free trade agreement. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that ties into the supply chain that is potentially not anchored into when we take supply chain decisions because we keep talking physical factories, components, but sometimes there's more money in the, um, in the sourcing and deliveries if you're actually understanding the, the global networks of the uh, free trade agreements and the, uh, collab uh, the collaboration across countries. So it's very important that those get integrated from a digitalization part of it. And then Ashok mentioned an example, and we've seen the same in Singapore where I sit about the uh, food industry and deliveries. But that also creates enormous supply because people only eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So people who are actually in the supply chain is now identifying those people that works in the scooter what are they doing from 10 to 12 when people are not consuming? How can I utilize these to do fulfillment of other things? So whatever comes out new also create opportunities for others. So these cross industries collaboration is also going to help us reduce the CO2 emissions uh, and consortiums to align. So, so just a, an example how we can 
collaborate as well with others. Uh, I know it's tough to put a turbine on a, on a, on a, on a motorcycle in Bangkok, but uh, for others who are delivering smaller items, there are opportunities for collaboration. So, uh, so that, that's why we're seeing it today. Yeah, no, that's, 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 that's really uh, insightful, Michael, thanks. Um, Nick, um, I'll pass that one to you. Yeah, I think I'd agree with a lot of things that the other panelists have uh, have mentioned and connected to the themes of digitization and visibility. I think there's two things that we really see and that we're building our business for and actually speaking to a lot of customers about. It's about risk and then impact. So on the risk side, um, a lot of it is about data. How do you assess suppliers? How do you do it efficiently? Uh, if there's no data that exists, have you got a digital platform to enhance that, to enable it? So um, I think from a risk perspective, um, I think digitization uh, is, very, uh, is very important. The other side too, um, around sort of visibility, cuts two ways, I think from an impact point of view and also risk as well. So we work with a lot of clients who want to um, get into the lower tiers of their um, you know, tier two, tier three, tier four, and, and beyond in some complicated supply chain. So how do you do that? I think that's pretty difficult without some systems, some digitizations, and some of these other trends, I think are gonna enhance that. So what's the core need as far as ESG or sustainability goes is visibility, you know, for risk, and then visibility for impact. And, and the flip side of that is we're speaking to a lot of customers about how you quantify that, you know, how you measure it, how you quantify it, and certainly digitization, um, under that banner of, of visibility is going to help multiple issues that we see in these, uh, these supply chains because they're, they're complicated. The world's only getting a more complicated place. Um, so, yeah, probably end on that, just those things and, and um, in a very dynamic environment. Great. No, no thanks, Nick. I, I, just before we go to Bupesh, um, just, just to remind the audience, um, if you've got any questions for the gentleman, please, um, please, do drop them on the uh, Q&A functionality you've got on the uh, in the webinar. But um, but perhaps um, I'll just finish with you, Bupesh, on, on this on this particular subject. Uh, I guess how you, how you've seen this um, from Kofas perspective. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Look, I, th I think digitization is something that happened a few years ago, right? If it had not, I don't think we guys would have survived the last twelve months. Uh, we were all able to, you know, especially people like us, you know, across the region and eventually across the world, we had 80-85% of our people working from home. Uh, without a change in response time, we were able to deal with the, you know, customer credit approval request. We were able to pay claims. We were able to do everything we normally do. There were some, some teething issues in terms of, you know, internet connection or power outages, you know, especially with our center in India, but honestly, uh, I don't think anyone felt it. So I think, I think it comes back the trends that I'd probably say I would like to see more happening are kind of related to what Nicholas said, data definitely. But for me and for my, my clients, it's becoming the ability to analyze, interpret, and predict on the basis of non-conventional data, right? So can I take all the customs records in a country and can I take all the energy uh, you know, consumption records in a country and can I correlate them to my, my, my buyers and say, if these guys are assuming, uh, I'm sorry, consuming energy and they're buying the product, they must be doing okay, especially if the product's not piled up in a warehouse. I think there's some, you know, AI, machine learning, whatever, that needs to take us to that level where you would really get efficient 
in being able to provide the cover and, and, and for you even provide the financing based on that perspective. And I can see some of that starting to happen. It's right now a little bit, you know, not as organized as I would like to see. I think the other thing that um, we'd probably uh, like to see more of is the application of blockchain for the purpose of uh, bureau supply chain flows. Uh, we see a lot of fraud there. We see copies of bills of lading. It, it just means we're going to have to step away from the edge of the cliff and be more cautious, which means, you know, people who could be insured or people who could get financing suffer. So I think those two evolutions are starting to happen and I see a trend when they will um, accelerate. Great, no, thanks, that's really appreciated, Papesh. So look, um, uh, gentlemen, sort of thank you, thank you for your, uh, for, for your insights here. Um, we now sort of would move into the, the Q&A session and um, looking, looking at questions submitted so far, I think it's, um, it's a reflection on how you've answered these questions that um, I think, you know, some, some great uh, insights that, that you've given the, the audience into the, to the topics we've discussed today. So um, as things currently stand, we, we don't have uh, any, any, any questions um, from, from, from the audience. So, um, so perhaps what we can do is, um, is, is perhaps look to, um, um, we can sort of start to uh, wrap up the, 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 the breakout session today. Um, I think um, there is, in terms of what I would like to say is firstly, a, a huge thank you to each of you for your time uh, this afternoon and, and the insights uh, you've provided. Clearly, you know, it's an unprecedented time for change. And I think we've seen the ability to drive through change in supply chains at speeds unimaginable only 12 months ago. Um, but, but I think businesses can clearly look beyond the, the myriad of challenges. We'll, we'll really be in a strong position in, in whatever the new normal that emerges post-pandemic. So, um, I think the next step is really to, I think there are some, um, some logistics um, uh, that I need to remind you, the audience of. Um, actually, um, actually, before we do that, we have uh, a, actually one, uh, one question um, uh, I probably can, I can probably ask the audience, uh, sorry, the, the panel before we disappear, we have a couple of late questions come in. So, um, and this is a, this is a bit of a tricky one to answer, but I'll, I'll open it up to anyone who wants to have a stab at this. Um, what are the roles being played by various governments in supporting SMEs, vaccine diplomacy, and support from the public sector? Um, has anyone, is anyone brave enough to have a, have a, have a go at this before we, we wrap up? I think Maybe I can, sorry. Go ahead, Nicholas. I was just going to say a very brief comment. I think um, SMEs are a very important piece of the puzzle. Um, as you dig into supply chains, more, more of the impact, sometimes more of the risk, but maybe more of the opportunities to work with these type of companies there. So I think there's a huge opportunity to engage right along that value chain and even with SMEs. So Singapore 
the MAS has some programs uh, that banks can tap into to support different types of sustainability, you know, financing for SMEs. And hopefully we see that extend to, um, you know, being more specifically connected to trade and, and um, supply chain as well for the SMEs. So a really important part um, and some governments being a bit more progressive on that. Yeah. Sorry, Michael, I cut you off there. No, I, I think uh, I was about to say similar about how Singapore is supporting it, but I think what we're also seeing um, in a sustainability effort from countries is that they're also driving to have more local content, uh, creating the impact to support the SMEs to actually deliver the, the final products that are to be erected or produced in certain countries. So I think also the governments are right now collaborating and trying to understand with the inability for people to physically move across borders and even though we are able to work from home how can we government support actually the smes and also corporates to to develop it in the countries with the talent available so see the, there's a lot of support for the countries to support this meet not just in singapore but also india australia thailand so i think there's a there's a lot of good efforts putting in by all the countries um, to make sure we get through this well um, as humanity yeah uh, no, thank, thanks, 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 uh, Michael. Thanks, thanks, Nick. A huge thank you to my um, to my panel today, and thank you also to you, the audience, um, for joining uh, today's discussion. I hope you found it as uh, insightful and interesting as, as I did. So, thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint: Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com.